0: Take care of everything. I don't have any problems. Papa that says I didn't weigh over 200 pounds or anything, but, you know, I not have a problem. Uh, and I really didn't think about that till much later. But um, everything was always easier to focus on him. You know, he was the problem. He was the reason why I was not happy. He was the reason why I overate and, you know, and everything. I mean, I could count on the times that he would, well, I, I, I just could count the time that he'd be out. 10 o'clock at night, and that's when I did my eating, and I, you know, um, didn't have anybody to watch me. I never ate in my chair. Um, I would amazingly, it's hard to believe that today that I could never do this, or I mean if I did, I'd probably die, uh, I would make five courses of spaghetti, and I would leave in the refrigerator, and I would never eat it on a plate. I would go to the refrigerator, and during the commercials, I would eat a little bit, and then when the commercials were over, I'd go back and I'd sit down until that pot was gone. A five-fourths spaghetti is a lot of food. And you got two kids and a husband you're not, not going to eat. Two little kids that maybe eat a half a cup or a cup. The rest is mine. And um, so that was my story at the time. Anyway, um, so the marriage culture was great to focus on him until I had to focus on me. And so the second thing, was a pivotal moment of my recovery, was when my husband decided to go to AA. Because, you know, the marriage counselor never thought that he would ever go. And um, he said, you know, when you get a net from the judge, it's usually the only time an alcoholic will go. You know, if get a ticket or something, they have to go. Uh, so when he said, okay, next Tuesday I'm going, I would have never believed it. I mean, I really would never believe it. Especially the night before he went, I would never believe it. And... Um, he came home that night from his very first meeting, and I thought he looked like some kind of born again. I thought, what did they do to you there? You know, I mean, I mean, he had this look on his face, and I said, I have to go see what they did. And so I started going to meetings with him. So I was going to like you know, four meetings a week with him just to see what had happened. And um, it wasn't until someone I heard at the meeting it was a woman spoke about not just being an alcoholic, but being a compulsive overeater and not being able to stop because she got to the bottom of the bowl. The end of the bag, the end of the box, whatever it was, not until she got to the bottom. And I said, well, you know, I could relate to that. Other than that, I could always relate to the wife of the alcoholic because, you know, I would mark his bottles, hide them, he'd find them, dilute them, put them back. That was our game we played. Um, But the food is what I could truly relate to. And um, so when I went back to my very first meeting, that was, let's see, February 1985. And, uh, and my husband, by the grace of God, when he went to his very first meeting, January 29th, 1985, he's been sober ever since that day. And that is truly a miracle. I mean, that's truly a miracle. And that's what brought me to here. And uh, so when I went to my, uh, actually when I went to my very first meeting, which was like in the uh, early 1980s, I wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready. I didn't hear what was being said. Um... I was in complete denial. I didn't have any of the problems that they had, and there was something wrong with them, not me. So I left and never went back. So this time when I went back, my husband said, I realize this is the last house on the block. And that kind of backed me up a little bit. Thinking, what do you mean this is the last house on the block? you mean know, I'm a hopeless case? What is that close to mean? Um, but he was right. I had tried every night. I had done everything. I never did that shot thing, you know, but I did the acupuncture, I uh, ordered those pills to the Star Magazine or something that was spread overnight, well, guess what, that didn't work either. <laughs> but I would never return them for the money back guarantee that they always said they would give you. Who wants to admit I just, I couldn't do it. It didn't work, you know. Um, I did uh, diet pills when I was 16, and see, that only reinforced that I had a problem because I weighed 110 pounds, and a doctor was giving me diet pills, so what did that reinforce? That I was too fat. Why would a doctor give you diet pills? I'm thinking, today, they'll probably still give you diet pills if you want a diet pill at 110 pounds because they make money, right? So that was just more, pushing me more further into my disease. And um, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) Um, Anyway, okay. Um, I went to my very first meeting, and at that very first meeting, I did... Uh, relate to everything in this speaker. This time I sat with my head bobbing up and down. Oh yeah, I do that. I can relate to that. And I got it to a sponsor and um, uh, three weeks later it was my daughter's birthday. And um, after her birthday instead of putting the cake away and giving it away to the neighbors and everything um, I somehow just started eating the cake again. So instead of putting away half a sheet of cake, I ate half a sheet of cake. So I called my food sponsor and I said, you know, I'm not sure, but I think I broke my accidents. <laughs> so she said, well, if you're telling me that you want to start over again, she says, you're going to start over right now, this minute, not Monday morning, because she knew. And she was right. I thought, oh, you know what, I haven't eaten for three weeks. I can go out and binge on pumpkin pie, spaghetti, all these things that I had just said to you. These are binge foods, I'm not going to eat them anymore. But she was right, because that's exactly what I had in mind. I had always start drops on Monday, and I was... Intending to go out and eat those things I had, I denied myself for three weeks. But thank God I didn't do that because I may not have been able to, I guess, have the humility to come back, you know. And my ego, everything else, is like, you know, I just thank God that that minute I was able to get my absence back again that minute. And so um, this year I had 18 years on March 19th. And I've pretty much maintained about um, 80 pounds of weight loss. You know, my weight may have punctuated like five pounds. And recently I had gained seven pounds from an accident. I had a cortisone shot put in my arm and, I don't know, the steroid pills I took. And I my sponsor. But you know, if I could have enjoyed gaining those seven pounds, it wouldn't have been so bad. But I don't know where these seven pounds came from. And it drove me nuts to lose them, you know. It's like I didn't get to enjoy eating something to gain seven pounds, you know. And uh, then, you know, when I had to cut back on the food, I said, that really worked me. I mean, it's like, now I'm just going through menopause and going through your own body chemical stuff. But it's harder, I feel, more so now. And you take away my food like I am a woman on the edge. You know, it's like, don't take my food away and cut it back even more where I have to weigh and measure again. I'm real good at maintaining, but I haven't had to do this in a long time, and I did not like it. So, thank God that's over with right now. Um, But anyway... So um, I was very grateful for that. That was my very first food sponsor I ever had. Um, the second thing was uh, when I got my step sponsor. Now, that took much longer. I remember when I first came into program, uh, which was 1985, um, everybody was full. I remember going to the maintainers meeting, and everybody was full. They were, I couldn't find a step sponsor. And it wasn't until I had nine months of program that I finally found a step sponsor. Now, the good thing about it, I guess, was she was also A-A-N-O, A and so she could help me with my husband. So she was kind of like my own private little Al-Anon. You know, I could talk to her, and, you know, she could help me understand things. And, and of course, we were still going to his marriage counselor because he said, you know what, getting your husband sober is just the tip of the iceberg. He said, you've got to deal with all that stuff of why he drinks. And then he looked at me and he goes, and why you do what you did?
1: <laughs> and he
0: never mentioned food or never mentioned that I was overweight. He never ever used any of those trigger words you know that, you, you know, Marriage counters are therapists, smart. They know, you know. So, and I didn't really say anything. I mean, we didn't really deal with me a lot then, so, but we dealt with me and him as a couple. Because he drank over me, I ate over him, and whatever, you know. It's like we never deal with our feelings. It was always just using our drug and doing our thing, you know. We didn't communicate. That's what, and we know that that today is what keeps us together more than anything. And, you I mean, and it, you know, I was just talking to somebody today, and I said, you know, this year I'll be married 31 years. And it's really, it's really a miracle, believe me. We have survived the worst of our diseases. And believe me, that's tough, you know. And the only thing I think that probably saved us a lot is why he was practicing his disease, I was practicing my disease. So, you know what? It didn't really affect us, you know, because we didn't we didn't talk, we didn't communicate, we didn't feel,
1: you know. So it was cool.
0: <laughs> I just deal with my kids, and that, I mean, I just focused on them, and I didn't have to think or feel or do anything. But marriage counselors, him on the other hand, we had to start doing things in there, and that was tough. That was really tough, and um, he really made us talk and talk about our feelings and talk about the anger, because there was a lot of anger there. And um, just, just dealing with um, hearing what he had to say, I mean, I had to really stop and listen and hear him. And he had to do the same to me. So, like, when we were on the hot seat, we took turns, and when we took turns, you know, we had to listen, and we couldn't interrupt. You know? Like, you know how you always, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, and you go through all your choices. Why you do that? You have justifications for everything. We couldn't do that. We had to stop and listen. And that next year and a half was really, really, um, it was great for us, but it was really hard. It was really hard. And it was really tough on our marriage, and, um, um, I'm very grateful that, um, we survived that. I mean, really, you know? And, um. Anyway, like I said, that's the only reason why we're so together today, you know, because he made us do something we had never done. And besides the fact, he's still sober and I'm slouching, so that helps too. (laughs) Um, Okay, another thing that was really another pivotal moment in my life was when I quit being lazy and slothful and started exercising. So the first thing I did when I got to program is I joined to exercise, which was great, because um, it made me get out of my house and exercise because if left to my own devices in my own house, I don't think I would. Today I would, but back then I wouldn't, because I used to do my work eating in my house and really didn't do anything healthy other than eat. So um, exercising out of my house was really good, and I got hooked in that by working for my instructor, so I got all my classes for free, and um, it made me have to go. So three times a week I had to go. And it was good. It was really good. Well, then, um, eventually, I think I did that for 11 years, and then I, I got to a point where I didn't think I was getting enough out of this, so I joined a gym. And the gym was really good because it gave me the opportunity to, uh, well, I have heard a lot of things, you know, uh, when you get older and you're going to menopause, you need to start working on your bones and strengthen your muscles to prevent osteoporosis. So I, meet, I started working out with weights. And I got a trainer. And so, you know, if I didn't have OA, I would never have done it myself, you know. I would have continued to gain weight. I'm sure I'd weigh over 300 pounds. I would probably be very suicidal, you know. I mean, because 20 pounds can make me that way today, so I can imagine, you know, how I would be. And uh, my highest weight that I know was around 230. I could have been over than that, but you know what? I honestly never got on a scale after about 194. And <laughs> It's like, if I didn't see it, I didn't believe it. It didn't happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I never got on a scale after that, but I have clothes and um, there was a guy I remember room that used to bring his pants to meetings, you know, and it shows the friends, Like, two of them could have fit in these pants. And so this dress, I probably could have fit two of me, too, you know? So, I thought, wow, that was really a trip to think about that. It's like, because, you know what, I never really – I don't really have memories of myself. I never looked at myself. I put makeup on. I put body lotion on, but I never looked at my body. I really never did. And then when I ate, I'm sure I ate into a blackout, and I don't remember, you know. I really – it's really – it's funny when you think it's the comparison of the alcoholic and the cultural reader. There's a lot of similarities that really are true. Um, so, joining the gym was really – I mean, I still go. I still work out five times a week. And um, – I couldn't imagine not doing that today, you know, for myself. I mean, because I do that for myself. And, and in essence, you know, I, I'm doing it for my family because it's keeping me healthy so I can live longer, you know. And um, so it's for all of us, you know. It's for all of us that I do it for me. Um, there was another thing that uh, uh, was probably a very uh, monumental thing was um, two years ago um, – I think it was when I turned 48, I, um, I took scuba diving lessons. And let me tell you, when you over 200 a pound, taking scuba diving lessons isn't going to happen,
1: uh,
0: at least not for me, because you would never see me in a bathing suit, number one. Uh, and number two, I always wore maternity bathing suits. I wasn't pregnant, but I still wore maternity bathing suits. I have a picture of me after my daughter was born, I'm still wearing maternity bathing suits. And those don't fit into suits very well because they bunch up and they make you look bigger, so you really can't wear those. And you have to wear uh, a four-finny band suit because it just fits better in a wetsuit. Well, I would never have done that had I not come to program, had I not lost weight. And, you know, um, when I went over to Maui one year, uh, it was two years ago, I decided, and you know, my husband's been diving for since he was 16. He's a master diver. He dives all over the world. He's asked me many times to get certified. And I said, no, I guess sir, you're going to make me go diving. I said, I didn't want to do that. And um, it was true, though, because I did get certified and he doesn't make me go diving. But I do like it today. <laughs> That's the difference. But when I went to Hawaii and I did this, he didn't think I was going to go through with it. He really didn't. He, you know, every day I called him, I had to take this class for three days in a row. And it was all day from 9 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And he took all your tests. You, took your, you did watch a video. You had to take a written test. And everything was under the water. And um, the only thing that freaked me out on the last day, I even called him, and this is when he thought I was really going to bail out. I wasn't going to go through it. I wasn't going to get certified, is when you got to, because the first day you take up your mask and you flood a little bit and you clear it when you're under the water. So that was easy. Second day you got to take the mask, like the, my instructor came by and he cured the mask this way. I mean completely flooded it. Put it back on your face, then you got to clear it. Now You're under the water while you're doing this. This is not an easy feat. But the third day you've got to take the mask off. Put it back on. And clear your mask. All this without inhaling water through your nose, drowning, or any of that. You know, it's like, Let me tell you, I was freaking out. And so I said, look, at, I told the guy, all they gave you is this rental equipment. was cheap stuff. I, I, I said, I don't care how much it costs, I'm going to go buy a good mask with a kind of Velcro thing on it or whatever it is that slides in and off your hair so it doesn't get stuck in my hair. I don't want nothing in hand putting that mask back on and doing what I had to do. And I was totally freaked. And, um, but you know what? There was this guy that said in the very beginning of the class, he says, well, can we take the test at the end of the class instead of the beginning? He said, no. And he says, because you're going to be thinking about this the whole time, and if you don't take the test first and take your final test to pass, you know, you're, going to, you're not even going to enjoy being under the water. And, you know, he was right. He was absolutely right. Is that my last slide? No, you got, uh, one more after Okay, thanks. Um, and so... Um, I was so glad because when I finally did that, he looked at me and he went, yeah, I was like, Am I, sure? I was the oldest person there. All the kids in that class were, my kids age like 22 years old, and they said, wow, this is really cool, you know, we wish our mom would take a, you know, scuba diving and go scuba diving with us, and I said, well, they probably don't have a husband that's pushing them." <laughs> but you know what, now that I finally did it, my husband, he just says, to okay, I just get certified, and I will tune you up because... He will teach me all the things I need to know the right way. And he did. I mean, I trust him in every way. I mean, he, he's a wonderful diver. He's very safe. He's never been one, a risk-taker of any sort. And um, so when we go diving, I feel really safe with him. You know I mean? I feel totally safe. And this year, my youngest daughter got certified, so all four of us are going to go to Cozumel, and we will all go scuba diving. So this will be lots of fun. We used to all scuba diving our Water ski together. But now, we also die together. So, we've always liked the water. So, this is all good for all of us, you know. And, um, my husband said that, you know, um, well, but both of our daughters, they're, my oldest is 24. My youngest is going to be 21. And, um, he worried first about the younger one. He's like, well, you know, I always worry about you. because now i got to worry about the two of you. But our oldest daughter, she's a good diver, really good. And he says, you know, he thoroughly trusts her, too. So he's going to let the younger one dive with the older one, and then that way he'll wash watch out for me. Say, yeah, you've got to always take care of me, you know. I'm the number one person right now. He has to care, you know. And um, that way, because I don't think he, he, he would enjoy his dive if he had to worry about both of us, you know. Um, but I tell you, Every day I think about um, just the diving. I mean, sometimes it, I, I hear about these diving um, um, accidents, you know, and one of the most recent ones I heard it was in Catalina, and we dive in Catalina all the time. You know, it kind of freaked me because I thought, well, how did she drown? I mean, she was on this boat that we know we've, we've dove on before, and I read the story that said that she got in the water and she got stunned a couple times by these jellyfish and had a panic attack. So I'm reading all these things about panic attacks, and I'm going, oh, my God. Now, see, I've heard about these things in programs from a lot of different people in the stories you hear. Me and my son, I've never had one, but it kind of freaks me to hear. Oh, my God, you can have this under the water, and then they die? You know, it's like my mind just really takes things out to the... I degree not of it's in the moment. So I had to kind of refocus and bring myself back because I was really freaking out, thinking, you know, well, what if that happens to me? What if I go, well, we're next, you know, this year for our 31st anniversary, we're getting to go on this, um, It's called, the Aggressor, which is like a little mini cruise for divers, where we're going to Tahiti. And this is like, uh, it's, it's a dive. Uh, you know, Tahiti, everything, so it's great, and it's pure, and it is but it's not a dive which you would take if you're a beginner on because it's called drift diving and it, sometimes you get drift really fast and if you really don't know what you're doing I mean, it really can be scary and um, so I started thinking about that and he said, look, don't even worry about it he said, if you worry about it he said, it's really going to, you know um, I, it shouldn't be my phone not, I don't know anyway <laughs> is it? oh, funny, sorry I didn't even put my phone on. So, oh, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, I am just grateful because, you know, I have survived still all these feelings and stuff like this, um, things that I really never thought I could ever do, you know. I really never expected myself to get certified for scuba diving, and I certainly would never have been able to do it if I hadn't lost weight. Come to OA first. I mean, I have always been a lose weight. I could never keep it off. You know, I've been on every diet in the world. I could take do every diet in the world. I, I have lost weight, but I could never keep it off. This is the first time I've ever done anything and not gained it all back. You know, I've never, ever gone over 200, even really even close to it ever again. And I know uh, it's so true, and I know you hear this so many times, is that I know I have another binge in me, but I may not have another recovery. And that is so true. And that's what scares me enough to keep me here and never try it again. I mean, I just I don't play with it. I don't, I, you know, I just know that... Um, I can't, I can't do those games with the food anymore. I mean, I used to play so many times, and I got away with it. I mean, my, even you know, my husband, he would say, you know, how can you diet all no day long and not lose weight? Well, because when you go to sleep, I eat, you know, and he never knew that. And I will tell you this one last story, and um, I had, um, thank you, I had um, all the way assigned to the donut store around the corner from our house, and I always pretended I had a party. <laughs> But it was a party. <laughs> but I said it was, I'd have Kennedy tonight, and they would like this, like, And I would buy two dozen donuts. And I always went and bought two dozen donuts. So the guys always knew me. I bought two dozen donuts. And my favorite were those chocolate coolers. I think they're called or French, whatever they're like, whatever they are. So I always have usually a dozen of those. And I would eat 10 or 11 of those before I got home. Now, my kids would never know where I was at. So they would never know. I mean, they, would, they, don't, they were too little to know how to count. So they don't know 12 or 24. So they would never know how many I brought home. And my husband, at the time, was still practicing his disease. So I never thought, like, alcohol like of alcohol in his breath, I had chocolate in my breath. I swear, I never thought, it never occurred to me to think that. that oh, maybe I should brush my teeth, you know, put them in my mouth before I talk to him never occurred to me. I had chocolate on my breath, but I would <laughs> still come home tell him, you, you know what? i saved this one. They only had one of these chocolate coolers left, and I brought it home just for you. And he thought that was, oh, what a good little wife, you know, and he was very thankful that I did that. And so what was really funny is I didn't realize until recently, I've never told him the real truth about that. <laughs> so I came over my meeting one night, and I said, you know, it occurred to me that, you know, all those years that I was buying those chocolate donuts, I always bringing home one just for you. And I said, that was the last one. I said, do you realize that I actually ate 10 or 11 of those on my way home, and I saved one just for you? He's going, do you mean you ate them all and only saved me once? <laughs>
1: you, know? And I thought,
0: you know, that was so funny. But, you know, I could never have told him that at the time. Never. And and if he would have even confronted me, I would have said, no, you're lying. I mean, this is all they had, and that's what I brought home. You know, and it's just so funny when these things, it's like these little memory things that come back, you know. No matter how many years I'm programmed, I still have these little things that come back, and, you know, uh, it's just truly wonderful. And I know that if I was practicing my disease, I wouldn't have any of these little moments of uh, memories that are little miracles, you know. And they're, they're really wonderful, and they, they all make you feel good, you know, and I just love that. But anyway, thank you for letting me share today. Thank you. Okay, our next speaker is Barbara from El Monte, and she will speak for 25 minutes.
2: Hi, I'm Barbara, and I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. And I'd much rather be standing down there at floor level talking to you because I feel somehow other up here it's in the barrier between us. Can I put that away?
1: You need it? Oh. oh.
2: Anyway, I would feel much more comfortable down there. But that's beside the point. And I'm supposed to speak on pivotal moments. I would have to say to me the pivotal moment was my first time in Overeaters Anonymous. My very first OA meeting was in June of 1966. In June of 1967, I was... uh, delegate to the convention in Los Angeles. Overeaters Anonymous at that time was very small. I was a compulsive overeater all my life. Came from a family of alcoholics, and I found food very, very young. So my first addiction was compulsive overeating. By the time I was in the fourth grade, I weighed 125 pounds. By the time I was in the sixth grade, I weighed 168, 170 pounds. And I've been morbidly obese my entire life. And I'm here today to offer you hope. My story will, I hope give those who are still sick and suffering from the disease of compulsive overeating like I am hope. I came to Overeaters Anonymous. I have to go further back than that. Because if any of you were compulsive overeaters and obese as children, you understand what it's like to grow up feeling rejected. And we all go through it had the way day at school and never chosen to be on teams, always being the outcast, the wallflower, never having dates. I didn't know what a date was. When I was in high school, some young man approached me, and I thought, oh, my God, me. But he was a school jerk. He came to school dressed in a business suit. And I just had no idea what it was like to have a boyfriend. I ate my way through school, never going to dances or anything like that, always being an outcast. And part of this story goes into other areas of my life being a child of alcoholics, which I don't need to go into because I have 25 minutes here. But what happened is I met my husband. I picked him up in a bar. I was just turned 19 years old, and I was obese, and I was in the bar with my girlfriend. I didn't drink, but she did. And this good-looking man said to me as I was leaving, if you move that coat, I go with it because they were on hooks. And I said, well, that wouldn't be so bad. And... When my husband showed that he cared for me, you know, any attention, because as a compulsive overeater, most of us think, at least women, if a man holds a door open for us, my God, he's in love with us.
1: <laughs>
2: That's all we needed. And I think most of us have very little self-esteem and are always looking to people please. I met my husband, and he showed me some attention. I picked him up, as I said, and uh, he wanted to take me home. I said, show me your driver's license. You know, in those days, you know, you could get by with that. (laughs) But he showed me his driver's license, he took me home, and he really called me back. He really called me back. And he came to take me out. And, of course, my mother was drunk. And my mother sent him out for a bottle and said, uh, when are you going to marry my daughter? And I thought, oh, God, there goes, there goes the only catch I ever had. And, you know, to this day, my husband says to me, why did you ever choose me? And as a compulsive overheater, I could sit here and cry and say, because you're the only one who ever wanted me. I can sit here and cry today still over that, but I didn't tell him that. I don't tell them that. But anyway, we got married. And in this daughter got married. No, got pregnant, got married.
1: <laughs>
2: and I stand here before you, honestly, a one-shot deal, and I got pregnant with twins.
1: No. Wow.
2: I got pregnant with twins, got married, and left Boston. So we didn't tell anybody I was pregnant. So came out here and it didn't take me long to find out I had married an alcoholic. And I'm very grateful to say that as of Tuesday my husband will have 44 years sobriety. I oh. came out here and it was health. It was health. I had the twins, and they were born in very precarious condition. And, of course, I couldn't write anybody and tell them that I had twins. I couldn't tell them I had any kids, and one only had a 10-to-1 chance to live and all this sort of thing. But I went through this alone and very isolated with an alcoholic husband i didn't have a washing machine didn't even have a sterilizer and it reached the point where i even had to go to neighbors for food for my kids at one point and there's a girl there in the in the next room over there who came to overeaters and honestly in 1966 and she was one of the one whose family i went to, to look for food for my kids and i'm so grateful i went through those experiences i don't look upon them with bitterness, but with growth and a depth of a lot of people can never know what it's like to be so down and out and to come to where I've come today. My husband went to Alcoholics Anonymous, a strong suggestion for me, go to see AA, go to AA, go see a priest or get out. And he said he took the easiest off the way he went to AA. And through Alcoholics Anonymous, I heard about Overeaters Anonymous. And by this time, I probably weighed 170 pounds because when he was doing his drinking, I was doing my eating. I never had the ability to diet. I was never yo-yo. I just yoked. <laughs> and I got my first amphetamine when I was 16. And when I was going with my husband, I did a lot of heavy drinking. But then once I got pregnant, I couldn't drink. I, you know, somebody had to maintain Anyway, weight uh, off. I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1966, and it was in Belinda. And I thought, my God, I have a ride home. Like I say, I never had the ability to diet, but I did get on amphetamines. I didn't take them for a long period of time because they didn't do too much for me. I did later on get hooked on them in my fourth pregnancy, no, my third pregnancy and fourth child. We had five kids in four and a half years. We were also good Catholics
1: <laughs> and no
2: television. <laughs> so we had five kids in four and a half years, and I ate and I ate and I ate. And my youngest one, I think, is in the other room today. She's celebrating 22 years of abstinence. And when, I, uh, when she was in kindergarten, I came to overeat just anonymous. And like I said, I went from 168 pounds, 170 pounds, down to about 119 pounds, and I thought I would uh, go on maintenance. I went on maintenance, and I lost my weight on what would be the old gray sheet then. And I want to stand here in front of you today and say that abstinence is the most important thing in my life to me. And why I say I hope that I can offer you hope, whether it's a pivotal point in your life, my life, or whatever. But from 1967 to 1977, I could not get one day's abstinence. I had even made the statement, I would rather die than be fat again, I was. I went from 119 pounds and I stopped weighing when I hit 210 pounds. And I could not abstain. I could not get one day. Every night I was on my knees saying, God, please help me, please help me. But on August 10th of 1977, I ran into my sponsor and I said, could I go to a meeting with you? I thought I was being kind. I I knew that I needed to go to Overeaters and Artemis. The doctors used to say, you're going to die, Barbara. But I want to share a little bit about my progression of the disease. And I believe I've got a disease every bit as progressive as alcoholism. It just takes a different form. I primarily came in a sugar addict, lost all the weight abstaining from flour and sugar, and went to more foods like Uh, French fries, potatoes, nuts, potato chips. And you see, I am a liar. I can lie to myself. I can eat a baked potato. There's nothing for me. But you see, if I have a baked potato today, then tomorrow I could have French fries. Then the next day I could have potato chips. And I did all my binging in that 10 years, primarily on unrefined carbohydrates, but I did it. And in that 10-year period, all the kids were home, and I would eat, like our previous speaker, at night. And I would say, my God, will I go to bed so I can eat? And I took amphetamines all day. I had a 22-year addiction to amphetamines. And the only thing they got me to do was to eat faster. <laughs> What would happen is late at night they'd wear off, and that's when I would do my eating. And I want to share with you, it's not particularly nice, but I shared this in 1977 when I came back to Overeaters Anonymous, and people would come up to me after the meeting because it was not too popular then. I would share, not because I'm a bulimic, but how I would eat and vomit, eat and vomit, eat and vomit. I could not get enough food in. I don't know if there's anybody else in this room who feels this way, that they could not get enough in. So I would eat, drink bacon soda and cold water, make myself vomit. Go back and eat some more. I have vomited. It would be all over the walls. I, I would vomit and the nuts would come through my nose and get hung up for two or three days. I would vomit blood. And I have actually had blood come through the whites of my eyes. Normal people do not do that. And I did it. And that was the 10-year period. When I came back to Overeaters Anonymous, they still had the food plan. And from that day to this day, from August 10th of 1977 to now, I do not participate in refined sugar or flour. About once a month, I eat fried clams, and that's the maximum I have. That's my abstinence. Your abstinence is your own self-imposed guidelines, in my opinion, with no bullshit. We all eat differently. There are other programs we can go to that are very structured. I have to live life on life's terms. There are times when I have to make allowances. Sometimes, some days I eat less, some days I eat more. But I have to maintain an effort. And God did for me what I could not do for myself. He relieved me of the obsession of the foods that got me here. Cauliflower did not get
1: me here. (laughs)
2: Broccoli didn't get me here. It's those M&M's. And I was treated for compulsive overeating when I was in the third grade for binging on ham fat and M&M's. I had gallstones by the time I was 20. This is a serious matter. It really is. This program has saved my life. It took me about a year to lose about 100 pounds and in that almost 26 years I've gained back 12 of it which I consider a real miracle I had to give up amphetamines by the way my first time in OA I was taking amphetamines too I gave up had to give up amphetamines I had to give up everything give up cigarettes I feel like God did to me what I could not do for myself. I stand here before you today, as God is my judge, that God took away the obsession to eat any of these things that I don't eat. There is nothing you can put in front of me that's going to tempt me. I don't know if that's because I went through that 10 years where I couldn't get one day. Somebody's nodding out there. I don't know if it's because I went through that 10 years or what. But you can put anything in front of me, and it does not faze me. I am not tempted. I recoil from it. I have no desire to eat it. But God help you if you come anywhere near the food I eat. I love to eat. Someplace in some of the literature says, you know, we don't think about food anymore. Well, maybe you don't, but I do. And I'll tell you, on my way out here, I think of where I'm going to eat my meals and what, you know? I give a lot of thought to food. And if I enjoy it, so what? As long as I'm not doing it and planning it, I have to think of myself. Anyway, it, it's really been a trip. When I came back to Overeaters Anonymous, in the first place, my husband, he'd say he says if you want to go there, fine, but it was not that I have to go for him or anything like that, because he accepted me no matter what. So he accepted me back then or whatever I wanted to be. So that has been a miracle in my life. I did it for me. But pivotal point, how much time do I have?
1: About five minutes? Hmm? A little over Oh.
2: Anyway, this program has been an absolute miracle for me. I did one inventory, and it was very superficial. I did a second. In fact, it was so superficial, I nailed it to my sponsor. (laughs) And then my second inventory, the chairperson of this convention she and I kind of did ours together we did back and forth and that was really neat but this program has brought so many miracles in my life I came here to get a thinner body I got a thinner body and somebody was talking about the way I used to share about the wrinkled bags, and sacks. oh my god you know when I came here I had a dress that was 56 and a half inches around and I couldn't get into it and I have worn that to meetings I've worn other things to meetings getting a thinner body was important to me it's still important to me today and the scale is my guide not my guard and it's still important to me I mean sure I think you know God I really would love to weigh 20 pounds less you know I I don't you know I'm 67 years old you know let's get real And when I first lost weight, I thought, "Oh my God, I need surgery. I'm so bad." But you know what? And this here is just terrible. And my husband says, "If you want to go ahead, do it." But the deal, but you know what the thing of it is? Every wrinkle and crease in my body, I earned. And you know, I have to look at it this way, and each of us has to look at it this way is they're not fat lines, sad lines. They're character lines. They're part of our character. It's part of who we are. And today, I came from being somebody that I didn't think anybody could love, coming from an alcoholic family. My family used to deride me for being fat. My father's pet name for me was Lot ass And my mother used to say to me, people say to me, what do you do, starve yourself to feed her? And I hated that. I really hated it. And I hate ridicule today. I just hate it with a passion. I just do. Because I was one of those that was ridiculed. I felt like nobody could love me. And my husband would say, Bob, you look nice. I'd say, yeah, what do you want? And you know what, today, as a result of this program, I can say thank you. And as a result of this program today, I can say, I forgive you. I have a daughter who left home before she was 18, and I used to say if she ever came back, I'd slam the door in her face because she caused so much of a problem with my insecurity. There was a lot of problems in the marriage because of her. And today I can tell her as a result of this program, I used to hate her. I mean it. Today I can say I love you, Loretta. And you know who gave me that? You guys did. I didn't get that from going to church. Today I go to church. But I get that from you guys. You taught me that God can forgive anything. Who am I not to forgive other people? And that other people is myself. When I learned how to forgive myself, I learned how to forgive you and all the harms you had done me. That's the miracle of this program. They tell you in church, you know, go your ways and no more and all this stuff. But you guys told me exactly how to do it. Exactly how to do it. So I can tell this girl today that I love her. I've had so many spiritual experiences in this program. And one of them was I spoke one night at Cedar sinai Hospital years ago. And a young man came up to me after the meeting. And he said, could I... Could you sponsor me, Bob? Or he says, I've had all kinds of trouble. And I have shared in other meetings that I ate my third meal late at night and never handed my weight loss because, you see, that's when I did all my binging. And I ate my third meal late at night. I go to bed earlier now, so I eat a little bit earlier, but I still do what eat later than most people. And this young man asked me if he could call me, and I said, yeah. He had been having all kinds of trouble with his food. And he called me from a payphone. and he called me about three or four days, and his name was Barry. I never remember meeting him, but he did so well on those three or four days. And what happened is the next day somebody called me and said, you know, Barry died, but he died happy because he had three days abstinence from calling you and you know this is the beauty of this program you don't know somebody but you can carry the message and you can share your hope and experience you gave me a life when I have no life when I came here came back here I didn't care if I lived or died I was not suicidal but I didn't care if I lived or died but the miracle is the things you have given me and the greatest miracle I can say today of this program is, I can share with you that I love you. And thank you for loving me.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, now we will have questions from the Ask It Basket, if I could. That? Oh, wait. There's a whole one. Um, yeah, let we'll me passing it around. I have backup questions here, too. Okay. Um, I guess I can – I'll read it, and if someone wants – whoever wants to answer if you want to come back up or do you want to pass the mic back and forth. Get up, yes, sir. Okay, um, This is addressed to whoever wants to answer it. How did you turn your food over to God?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm Barbara, and like I said, I'm a grateful, compulsive overeater. How did I turn my food over to God? I would like to tell you that when I come back to Overeaters Anonymous, I turn my food over to God. That would make it simple, okay? But I can't say that I did. I just said, God help me. And I white-knuckled it. I really did. I would be standing here and lying to you if I said, God removed this obsession from me the first day. He didn't because I would look. You know, there are still times when I look at the watch, how many more hours do I eat? God or no God, but God protects me and takes care of me. And over the period of time, I found for me that working the steps has removed the obsession, but I can't necessarily say that God... In other words, I feel this way. I have to take responsibility for putting the fork up to my mouth. Because if I said God did it, then he, he might think I need more food than what I think. Chances Sorry would. But I have to take responsibility for putting the fork up. But God did remove the obsession as I worked the steps of the program, not flesh Ben. Thank you.
0: Um, I'm Corinne, compulsive Um I'm like um, Barbara. I uh, didn't have my immediately removed. I didn't come home a wonderful like my husband did that first night. I wish. That would have been wonderful. Uh, but after I had that binge on my daughter's birthday, um, it was my first um, time that I truly asked God to remove this obsession because I just couldn't do this again. Uh, and today, uh, you know, it's just not an option. It's just not an option. And uh, yeah, I think about this with a meal to meal because sometimes I get hungry, you know, but it's not an option to sit there and graze like I used to, you know. So when you lose your options, then you've got to do something else, whatever it is. Make a phone call, um, write, read, whatever, you know. Uh, but when I asked God to do that for me 18 years ago, you know, I really have not had a problem to turn back to the food. It's not an option. I think about it, yes, but it's not an option. So God's always there. If I do, I just, you know, take a minute, you know, and it, it goes away. Because you know what? If I think about something else, it just goes away because you're focusing on something else. Anyway. Okay. Are there any other questions in the Ask It Basket? Wherever it's at? Oh, thanks oh. okay what pivotal sorry um, oh what pivotal move should one take when they feel they're on the road to losing their abstinence and has pregnancy food and spiritual <laughs> <laughs> the question right here? yeah <laughs> Well, the first thing I would do if uh, I thought I was on the road to losing my abstinence, I would call my sponsor. Um, Maybe even, you know, like, um, take that moment to get on my knees and ask God, you know, for help. You know, because you don't get the help if you don't ask for it. You don't get the action if you don't take the footwork. You know, you have to do the footwork if you want to get it. Results. And, um... There's only one day in program that I know. Um, and it's really weird because I don't know why, but I've never been one to isolate. And there's really only been one day in all these years that I actually stayed at home. And if you call it isolating, I had taken my kids to school and I went back home and I didn't answer the phone. I didn't watch TV. I didn't do anything, but I sat in this chair. And I really don't even know what brought that on. But it wasn't until the end of the day when I knew I had to pick up my daughter from school that I sat there and I finally made a call, and I believe that's God's making me take action. I made this call. Um, I went to uh, one of my best friends in program um, and said, "You know what? I need help. I don't know what I don't know what came over me, but I don't want to stay this way. I mean, I, I know people go into depressions and they have, for weeks, months, you know, whatever. And that one day was all I needed to as a wake-up. And it's like, you know what?" Um, You've got all these tools at your hands. you just got to use them. There's all the tools. Go to a meeting. You can make a call. You read a book. Call your sponsor. You know, there's all these things. It's always great to work with newcomers. It's always great because, you know, it makes you get out of yourself. And where they're at, it's always good because it gets you out of you. And think. be grateful for where you're at at that point then, you know. But anyway, thanks. (laughs) No, I'll take
2: another one if you want.
0: To. Okay, next question. We'll give this to Barbara then. Is there a step that is most pivotal for you? Yeah, first step.
2: And <laughs> <laughs> first step is, if you're working the first step was explained to me, you are obscene. Like I shared my attitude and explain abstinence as your own self-imposed guidelines. And I think in the 12 and twelve For me, I believe that you cannot go on and work the remaining steps until you have done the first step, and the first step means you are abstaining. Because in the 12 and 12, it talks about how an alcoholic cannot go on and work the remaining steps if he's still drinking. Well, I feel like we can't go on and work the remaining steps unless we're
1: abstinence
2: whatever I said, whatever, you know, your own guidelines are, you know if you're absent. Anyway, thank you.
0: Any more questions been generated since we started? Okay, we'll, we'll keep passing and I'll, I'll, we can go through some of these backup ones. Um, okay, when you feel disconnected or out of step, i.e. dry spells, how do you reconnect with the program and or your higher power?
2: How do you reconnect with your higher power well first of all I try not to disconnect from my higher power some days are better than other days some days I have resentment some days I don't and uh, for me I am not good at meditating but I'm okay at praying they say praying is talking to God and meditating is listening to God I just pray to do God's will. And in this program, it's been great because I've sponsored prostitutes and I've sponsored priests. And I found out that both are the same, the same as me. And there were things I could share in inventories that are absolutely amazing. But I feel like if I'm not sponsoring people, if I'm isolating from people, then I'm kind of backing off from God, and I need to stay connected. And I, on a daily basis, try to do meditation, try to reach out and call somebody. And another thing I do is, for me, I have not done lots and lots of inventories. I write a 10-step on a daily basis. And in this 10th step, I write down what my day's been like, who I may have uh, resented and why. I have a daughter-in-law that I just had to write a resentment over because she ran away from home and left my son and three kids. And I had to write on her. But at the end of this 10th step daily, I write my food down. I write if it's been good or bad. And I also write down three things that I am grateful for. And I have tried. Sure, we can sit down and say I'm grateful because I'm abstinent and I'm grateful because of this or that. What I try to do is go through the alphabet. One day I'll write down three A's, like maybe abstinence, maybe Answering telephone calls, maybe asking for help, three A's, whatever it may be, and you know, son of a gun, some of those letters you have to look up words in the dictionary. (laughs) But for me, that works because it has—I have to think, and uh, thinking is something I'm not too good at particularly when thinking of my own character defects. When I got here I thought a lot of character defects. Now my husband had been sober a lot of years and I did a lot of eating and using right under his nose. But when I got to this program I thought a lot of character defects, uh, such as manipulation was an asset. I considered that character I considered that creative thinking. But for me, I find out I find that I have to be connected with a higher power. And I did share earlier that I go to church today. I came to this program as a result of Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to church for years and did not go for more years more. I went back to church as a result of this program. I don't go to church to see what I can get out of it. I go to church to see what I can give back to it. And a clear example of that is for three weeks in a row, one of the ushers and his wife have been missing from church. And they have been saying, pray for so-and-so. Well, I thought that may be a relative of this, but I didn't have enough nerve to call and find out. Well, last week they came back to church and they said yes. It was a daughter who was a type 1 diabetic, and she had a blood clot in her lung. It had gone to her lungs, and that her biggest problem was food. And you know where I went with that, don't you? Trying to give back, and I wrote down my phone number. as I said, you know, this girl, please have her call me. She never has to meet me or anything like that. But I would like to share a little bit about my story, that there is hope, that we don't have to pay for it. You know, you see all these... I'm off on a roll again, guys. <laughs> you see all these commercials on TV about I did this and I look like this? You know, you not only have to lose weight now, but you've got to have this great-looking body to go with it. But what do you have to pay for that? And there's a lot of horror stories behind some of those things. And I'm meeting, we had a girl who went to Jenny Craig. And they called her because she wasn't going. She said she couldn't afford it anymore. They said, Well it looks like you go in the dead file. See, nobody ever goes in a dead file in Overeat is anonymous. And no matter how bad you get or think you get, well most of us have been there. And when you get to be my age you've really been there. (laughs) You know? But to say I'm 67 years old and abstinence is still the most important thing in my life to me. Because without my abstinence, I don't have a God. I'm cut off.
1: Anyway,
0: thank you. Okay, we have another question from the Ask It Basket. Can you explain abstinence versus a food plan? Mm-hmm. Um, probably a lot of what Barbara just said, but you know what, um, I heard probably a couple months ago, um, that made me understand more clear a food plan and abstinence. Okay, my abstinence can be, um, my abstinence is very clear or my food plan may be more flexible, but my abstinence is not binging, um, it's not grazing, it's not eating when it's not a meal time, you know, it's, you know, um, I do eat sugar on I know a lot of people don't, but, you know, it's not really um, something that I binge on today. And anything, I mean, it could be something diet. If something diet it works for me, I don't eat it anymore. You know, so it just depends on whatever it is. And uh, that's my abstinence, where my food plan could be, you know, the foods that I eat. You know, like my food plan is just, um, my meals, you know, and, and that, that those meals could vary. I mean, I don't eat three carrots and two pieces of celery. That's not my food plan, you know. Um, I do have carbohydrates. I have meat. I have fruits. I have vegetables. Uh, and I have three meals a day, you know. And um, I don't eat in the middle of the night. I don't eat bags of potato chips, um, you know. That's my food plan. But my abstinence is not binging, you know, not grazing, not any of those things. So they are pretty separate, you know. Your abstinence has to be, you know, very clear and define what it is. Well, your food plan, you know, your food can vary. I mean, like, you know, like when I needed to lose weight, I knew I had to weigh measure measure again. I had to cut out carbohydrates. I had to eat more vegetables, you know, and there's just things. And so that can be flexible. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> i uh, get got a question here. What has been the greatest stumbling block in your recovery?
1: No,
2: let you talk, i let I
0: talked for a
1: long
0: time. Why don't you share? <laughs> let's
1: see.
0: What has been the stumbling block? What did I say? And, uh, let's see. The greatest stumbling block in my recovery. Hmm see, probably when I had that accident pretty recently and gained weight. That was really a test for me um, to have to cut back on my food, you know, and really test my program because I'm telling you, when you cut back on my food, it makes all kinds of feelings surface even more, you know. it's It's like right there on the edge. I have less patience, less tolerance, you know, so that really... Um, that really worked for me because it took me four months to get those seven pounds off, you know, because I'm not willing to go on starvation diets. I just Those don't work for me. I'm not willing to do those liquid diets. Those don't work. I need to eat food. I need to crunch, you know. I need to chew. And um, uh, to lose weight, it was really hard, you know. It was much easier to lose when you, when you weigh over 200 pounds and you have to lose a lot of weight. You know, you can lose weight. You know, I I responded, she said, I said, lost six pounds. I go, I hate you. You know, I was <laughs> like, God, you know, I can't do that. I have so much muscle weight that I cannot lose weight like that because I have more muscle weight than I have fat in my body, which is good, but I still like what the skill says. So I just don't have to look at it. I don't look at the skill, you know, because the skill doesn't say what I want it to say. And, you know, in my mind, I still, you know, 150 is like, oh, my God, that's so bad, you know, but it's really not, you know, not today. Um, when I was 10, maybe. But, <laughs> but anyway, that's for me. <laughs> okay, how do you use the program to face the issues that come up in everyday life?
2: It talks about practices, principles, in all our affairs. And I have to practice this program in many areas of my life. I practice it with my husband. I keep my nose out of his business. My husband, too, is a compulsive overeater. I have to keep my eyes off his boot and keep them on my own. I try not to too often take his inventory. <laughs> but... Last night he said, you know, it's so great being married to a program person. I can't imagine being married to somebody else because we understand each other and our actions and our attitudes so well. I have to practice love and tolerance in all areas of my life. I went to the graduation last night of one of my granddaughters and this daughter-in-law who ran away from home was there, and I had to practice with her and pretend like every, she pretends like everything's okay, so I figure I might as well pretend like everything's okay too. Even though I saw my son's heartbreak. And when he first told me she ran away, I almost died because they've been married for 22 years and he was a little boy, he was my baby. When He he was not my baby. He was my second to the youngest. When he went to kindergarten, he tried climbing the fence saying, Mommy, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. And he came to my house when he said Mary left. It was, you know, he cried and begged for therapy, you know, whatever. Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. But I have to stay out of that, stay out um, and not become involved because my first reaction is, you know, call a bitch. And you know what pissed me off more than anything? She was my favorite daughter-in-law. Now I have to find another favorite (laughs) daughter-in-law. But I have to practice these principles in all of my affairs. All of them. And they take us, you know. And my daughter who's sharing in, or she's going to be sharing in another room, she too married an alcoholic. And she's such a wonderful Alan. She doesn't go to Al-Anon. But she, you know, says if he feels this way, it's his problem. Let him feel this way. I'm not quite that good at it. I mean, I like to get a little, you know, stuff in there myself. In fact, I used to tell my husband that, you know, Joe, I used to say, you should go to al so you can learn how to live with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Allen Harden when he first got sober, five, four years ago. And I learned two things in that program. And one of them is, don't open your mouth unless it's important. Ask yourself, is it important? And that's a principle I have to practice every day. And the second one is, my God, I forgot. <laughs> uh, is it important? And see, that's what happens when you get old. And you know, I'm not there. They say that you can't remember what happened yesterday when you get older. But I can remember way back when, and that's true. But the other principle in Al-Anon was uh, beside, uh, is it important, is don't make a threat you can't carry out. And I try not to do those things. And my life is very full today. I have 15 grandchildren, and my daughter, who's in the other room, I watch two of her children four days a week, my husband and I do, and those children have taught me so very much. They have taught me and given me the freedom to say, I love you. That's like I told you before, I couldn't say I loved you because I thought you would reject me, that you wouldn't want my love. But those kids have given so very, very much to me. And so I have to, without even trying, practice this program in all my affairs. Thanks.
0: Okay. Um, I will time for one more. Uh, how has service helped you with the topic of this workshop? They <laughs> won't let me get up anymore because I say too much. No, <laughs> it's like listening to you, Barbara. Oh, let's see. Well, I tell you, uh, my sponsor sent me an email and told me she didn't ask me. She told me you're speaking at one o'clock, the B, on this subject, <laughs> and so I had to think about it, you know. And you know what? Um, as much as it always makes me nervous talking in front of a group of people, um, it's good service. And if I want my sponsor has, I have to be willing to do what she does. And if she asks me to do something, I have to do it. But, you know, um, writing down these things about the pivotal moments in my life, it was good because um, – the last time I spoke, she said, you know, you forgot to mention that you scuba diving, you know, and that's really a big feat. So it was good because it makes me grateful to remember all these things that I come to have today, you know. Because it's think that if you don't talk about it a lot, you know, you forget, you know. And it's good to remember all the things to be grateful for, the marriage counselor, my husband going to AA, getting my first sponsor, you know, getting um, you know, scuba diving lessons. Hey, all of those are true miracles, you know. It's not something I did on my own. So I'm... Um, I think this was great, you know, and I've enjoyed this. Thank you. Okay, we actually have time for one more.
1: I'll hear, I'll hear a little bit on that. You want to try that? Sure, sure,
2: sure. You know, when I, when I, I never knew I was going to speak on Pivotal Moments, not that I did. But I didn't know anything about that until I got here today. Because I wasn't here yesterday, obviously. And When Edith said, we're going to take you, I said, oh, my God, no, 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 I'll bomb out, I'll bomb out. And here I am on a roll. (laughs) And service is very important to me because it does nothing but help my own recovery. And no matter how long I'm around, I can't forget where I came from. I can't forget that fat kid. I can't forget that fat adult. There is nothing that I would refuse that I could possibly do because overeat is anonymous. And my God, as I understand him, has given me a life, a life that I would never have had. I would have passed pictures around, but the pictures were so old that you would have, you know, 27, 28 years ago, you know, you're bound to change. So there's no sense sending them around. I mean, God, you know, it's like sending teenage pictures around. But I I know that you take my word for it, that I used to weigh 210 pounds, and I don't have to today. And I didn't talk about what I hated, I hated it happen. My legs were so fat, they always rubbed together. And I don't think anybody in this room is old enough to know about power net girdles. Uh, the mesh used to be between your legs and the fat would pop out between the mesh and your legs would rub together like that. I've had abscesses between my legs. I've got all kinds of scars between my legs. And I could put my stomach on the table. Obesity has caused me so very many problems. And somebody was talking about, I used to talk about, you know, if I took my clothes off, I've got so much loose skin, I'd set sail. So naturally, I wouldn't do that out in Palm Springs, not that I would anywhere. But uh, I'm a miracle to be here today, and I think you are too. Like I say, the only thing I can offer you is hope that if a person like me who can binge out there for 10 years that I couldn't do it. And if you can't do it and are having trouble, keep coming back. It's going to be okay. Great. Thank
0: you to both of our speakers. Let's take them one more time. Okay, it's now time to close the workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the seventh step prayer. And it's in your program if you don't know it. My creator? (laughs) I'm now willing that you should have all of me,
1: good and bad.
0: I pray, I pray you don't you know, remove from every single active character, which stands in the way of my uselessness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your keep bidding. Keep coming back. It works. <laughs> Great. Thank
1: you. Thank you.